welcome to another Pro Football Doc podcast, first post-Super Bowl podcast, first off-season podcast. We'll bring on a very special guest uh, for this, Clay Travis. But uh, the part two, we'll talk about some more of the details, how our thoughts about the offensive line and, and how that worked out for the Chiefs. We'll cover some COVID and vaccine topics and some off-season topics. But before we do that, very pleased here to invite on to the podcast a chance I get to turn the tables for about two years now. Clay Travis has been interviewing me mostly Thursdays for OutKick and uh, uh, on Fox Sports Radio and other things. I'm pleased to be working with him at the OutKick site, but I get to turn the tables. How often do you get to interview someone who interview is a professional interviewer, gets to interview you all the time, and in theory, at OutKick, he's is my boss. So welcome to the show, Clay Travis. Uh, well, first of all, you've done a phenomenal job with us uh, all season. So thank you for making time. And, and I know how busy you are and everybody is. Uh, and by the way, great job on the uh, Super Bowl predictions. I think you went 8-2 eight, eight and two, uh, on your prop bet analysis, which was, uh, which was pretty fantastic as well. Uh, but, uh, but you've been doing fantastic work. And so uh, I'm happy to be here. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, the Super Bowl, I mean, my problem is I wish I would have just put it all on Patrick Mahomes' rushing yards, right? Yeah, that was my... You said you liked the best. Yeah. That's what I liked the best, and that, that finished in the first quarter. And uh, I just wish I would have, like, put it all on there and not worried about it, right? Then it would have been, been really good. Uh, what were your thoughts from the Super Bowl, and how did you do on some of your uh, predictions? I did okay. Um, you know, I, I think the bigger issue for me was uh, I had a uh, I had a bunch of futures tickets on. Uh, in particular, there's my family walking by in the background. By the way, uh, Fox Bet Live that uh, that I was uh, hoping to be able to cash on some of those. So I had uh, Brady kind of went through them like a samurai sword. I had the Saints, I had the Packers, and I had uh, the Chiefs. All three to win the Super Bowl and Brady eliminated all three of those, uh, 12 to one, 12 to one and six to one. Uh, so, uh, so that was a tough spot. Uh, I had the under, um, and I had hedged a little bit, so I was fine. But, uh, but I, the thing that shocked me the most, honestly, was not that the, the Bucks won, but that they dominated the lines of scrimmage, uh, like they did, uh, in particular, the chiefs offensive line just got destroyed. And look, I mean, Mahomes and company were 25 and one in their last 26 coming into that game. And then next thing you know, uh, they were never really competitive. They didn't score a touchdown. If you would bet on the chiefs not to score a touchdown, it would have paid out at 60 to one, which I think kind of personifies how uh, unexpected maybe of everything that happened in the Super Bowl, uh, that particular aspect of the game was. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if any of your fan, family members want to come on the podcast, they're, they're welcome to. You guys can jump in. I'll ask you some questions. Yeah, I'm getting uh, – there, there she is. She's not happy. You want, you want to come on the podcast? Uh, she wants to come on. She's not happy at me for doing a podcast in the middle of the house. <laughs> well, I, she, took, she took the bucks. So uh, she has been telling everybody. She went to Michigan. So uh, she's been telling everybody to uh, to take the bucks and Tom Brady. So uh, so she got that one right. Right. Well, you know, honestly, Clay, I'm kicking myself because, as you know, in my analysis of the game, I said, look, it's going to be either bucks under or Chiefs over. It's do the bucks stop, you know, the Chiefs, and it's the offensive line. We talked about it, wrote about it. 
And in looking back at it, instead of my saying, what I said in the article Outkick is, let's look at the first series and see what happens. And of course, that would have led you towards the Bucks. But I don't know why I didn't go stronger, because really when you get down to it, the Eric Fisher domino changed three positions. And when you break it down, it was a third string right tackle, a third string right guard, an original starting center, a third string left guard, and a second string left tackle, but three of them without one game's experience because Eric Fisher was hurt during the Packers game. So it was, sorry, not the Packers, but during the, the, the Bills game, the AFC yeah. Championship game. So now starting the Super Bowl, you have three new positions. Remmers, who started as a backup left guard for Kalechi Assembly, who moved to a backup right tackle for Mitchell Schwartz to move to a backup left tackle. Andrew Wiley, the backup right guard, who was filling in for Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who opted out, slides to right tackle. And Stefan Wisniewski, who was a free agent in November, was cut by the Steelers as the starting right guard. So it's it's quite the domino. I should have gone a lot stronger. Yeah, and uh, I think, uh, look, the reason why many of us still had faith in the Chiefs is the superlative play of Patrick Mahomes. And so uh, even with the injury factors in the mix there, there was just a belief, I think, among many football fans that over that 26 games, things hadn't gone perfectly, but he's just such a transcendent talent that he would find a way to be uh, splendid. And, uh, and he wasn't. And he wasn't very good uh, because he couldn't throw the football. And uh, it's a good lesson about uh, everybody and why football is such a great sport in many ways is uh, you're only uh, able to have success if uh, certainly the whole offensive line, the, you know, the great analogy I've always heard is, you know, the, you got to have, can't have five fingers. You got to make a fist, and uh, and certainly the Chiefs were not able to make a fist in order to uh, to have offensive success. No question. In uh, in the second half of the podcast, after I let you go, I'm going to analyze some things. Of even though he didn't do well, Patrick Mahomes, he did some pretty amazing things. You know, throwing the ball laid out like Superman, thirty yards, and hitting a guy in the face yeah. mask. I mean, that's just crazy craziness there but I think I got fooled too and and, you know I'm in California I was in Vegas this weekend but I'm not a regular gambler because I'm in California and I learned a lot this weekend looking at the lines and other things and what to believe honestly I should have been all in on the bucks based on what I said I was leaning towards the Chiefs some to be honest because of that because I thought Patrick Mahomes is that good but also because of my son like I got influenced by the hype but also the fact that I mean he dressed up as Mahomes for Halloween uh, for this game he literally on my Twitter timeline not only is he in a jersey he was in a Patrick Mahomes wig you know I, I was like oh you know that's a great picture of that yeah that's why uh, my buddy Todd Berman says in some ways you almost have to be monk-like in your diligence when it comes to looking at the numbers and the data and then trusting your own analysis as opposed to getting lost in the noise of all the talk that comes out about Super Bowl, right? Um, and I think that's one of the most challenging things, not just for uh, the, uh, the, the Super Bowl or betting on sports or sports in general. It's we're all so draped in noise all the time, no matter what you do for a living, uh, with social media and the ability of it to kind of cut through and uh, the stories of the day and everything else, that figuring out, you know, what's the signal and what's the noise is in many ways one of the biggest challenges of our era. No question. And and, and the other thing I fell, fell uh, victim to is uh, uh, it was very kind uh, of the group that I went with. A guy took care of everyone going to Vegas. He's invited me for years, but I've always been down at the Super Bowl, so could never go. Yeah. And, uh I won't say who, but there's someone in the group who 
has been 15 out of 16 in their Super Bowl predictions in the last 16 years. And he was on the Chiefs. So everyone in the socially distant suite and they whatever they were was on the Chiefs. Everybody trusted his expertise. Right. And... and I didn't want to be the guy that bet the don't come line, the don't pass line, you know, at the craps table. So, you know, I felt victim to the whole, you know, uh, thing. When I went back and looked at what I was saying in writing, I was clearly saying bucks, but I didn't go all the way. So that was my bad. Yeah, it is what it is. All right. So you talk about signal versus the noise. I mean, uh, what's next for OutKick uh, and you? I mean, college football's over, NFL football's over. What sports next? What topics next? I mean, politics is still there, but a little over COVID. I mean, where where are you going next? Where where is this? Where are you pivoting to? Well, I know that Brady and Gronkowski went to Disney World. Uh, we're going. First of all, the thing I'm most looking forward to is next week. My wife and I are scheduled to go down to Mexico for a few days. So uh, you know how crazy it is for our business when it's football season. I always try to get away uh, for a few days and kind of recalibrate after the president's day week once all the uh you know once we've done all the monday morning quarterbacking and the tuesday and the wednesday for the super bowl and kind of put the football season to bed and before uh the zaniness of the ncaa tournament uh, inches closer it's been such a crazy year i i mean just in general from march 11th when basically sports shut down which we're coming up on the one year anniversary of that you know we were doing as you well know daily radio shows for three hours with no sports for three months or more. Um, and so uh, that's a different kind of universe. Um, what, I am, uh, what I am focusing on is uh, sports gambling is obviously a big part of what we do at OutKick. And so uh, we've got to get all the, the bells and we learned a lot. I feel like in every season you learn a lot. We learned a lot about how to deliver people for sports gambling. Uh, how to uh, and obviously I do that on a daily basis on the television show as well but football is really kind of the focal point of it and then we're launching this uh, over the top network uh, which uh, I've got a lot of details to take care of but basically my thought with OutKick is I want people to be able to turn on our programming to audio or video at 6 a.m. on the uh, east coast and have it basically going all the way until 7 p.m. on the East Coast when uh, when games start. And so, look, well, I don't think we're ever going to be in the business of buying sports rights or anything like that at OutKick that's far uh, larger than, than our ambition would be and also, frankly, often not very profitable. Uh, but I do think we can compete in a highly intelligent way with all of the sports programming out there when it comes to people talking about games and why they matter and the larger context of them. Uh, and so... That's kind of my 2021 plan is by football season of 2021. So come September, come late August uh, to have that network ready to roll out and then just continue to grow OutKick. I mean, we had, I think it was 20 million readers, uh, visitors in just on the website in, uh, in January. It's the biggest month we've ever had. And uh, I expect for that to, uh, to continue to, uh, to grow going forward. So with radio daily, television daily and running, uh, a media company, uh, as well as, you know, uh, having three relatively young kids. I got a 13 year old, a 10 year old and a six year old and a wife who tolerates me, uh, trying to keep all that balanced out is, uh, is a challenge. So if you had your druthers, would you want outkick in this network to be more just about sports and for COVID and politics 
and all these other things to go away? Or as you told me once, do you like it? Do you like rolling around in the mud and what's happening? What's your preference? I like, I like you know, what I've always said is I'm in the opinion business. Um, and I try to be in the smart opinion business, make sure, you know, the analogy that I use is we just had Tom Brady win the Super Bowl, right? If I said to you, hey, I don't think Brady and the Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl next year. A lot of people listening or watching us might nod their head and say, you know what, I agree with it. It's hard to win a Super Bowl, even though Brady's been to 10, he's won seven. Uh, I don't think that's going to, uh, to actually happen. Then you could agree or disagree with that opinion. But if I told you that I don't think Brady's going to win the Super Bowl this year because he's never won a Super Bowl before or been to the Super Bowl, you might agree with my conclusion, but you should trust my opinion much less because it's rooted in factual error. And one of the things that I think is uh, challenging in America today is a lot of times people root for uh, the side that they agree with based on the conclusion without looking at what I would call the logical scaffolding or the soundness of the basis upon which the opinion is grounded. And so uh, what I tried to do is be, uh, from the moment I started OutKick, I said I want OutKick to be smart, original, funny, and authentic. And ideally all four of those things in one uh, piece of content, but at least one of those four, smart, funny, uh, original, and authentic. And so, uh, you know, I, I personally would prefer that COVID went away forever uh, because I just want sports to be back to, uh, to normalcy there. I would also like for, uh, for sports to get back to just being sports. I mean, that's my personal preference because I think people enjoy it a lot more. Uh, but unfortunately, sports has, for many people, become a metaphor uh, for the political universe and just another thing that can be used to divide us and have us fight over it. And for most of my career, I've been the guy who's been arguing, look, we need more things that connect us regardless of race, gender, ethnicity, religion, sexuality. Uh, and I always say, you know, in a, in a, if you're in a stadium and your team scores, you never turn and think like, oh, who did I just high five? And I wonder who they voted for. Or I wonder what they think about abortion. Or I wonder what they think about, you know, tax policy or whatever conversations and difficulties might exist out there. Uh, so to me, we need more unifying and less uh, conflict in this country. And sports used to be, uh, and, I, uh, and I hope still can be in the future, a major point of unity as opposed to another uh, sort of litmus test of disunity. You know, I've learned that a lot this year. I mean, I've tried previously in my football information, I think it was fairly neutral. It was rooted in just yeah. my opinion. And when people said, how do you know you're on your couch? I'm like, absolutely, I'm on my couch. I don't hide anything, as you say, authentic. But this year I learned that, like, if you make a statement about COVID, and it's a neutral statement, half the audience is going to take you as a denier and the other half is going to say say yeah. you know uh you know you're you're covert you're a corona bro I, i'm like no it was a neutral statement like you know i think it was my very second second article but the biggest piece for outkick was on viral load it was trying to make yeah. people understand that just the act of tackling isn't going to transmit it and in the end which you by the way ended up 100 right about and and which a lot of people you know debated all throughout but I think Dr. Sills has made it clear they don't have a single case. And I think it's also true for high school and college that they haven't found a single case of COVID transmission across the line of scrimmage. In other words, from opponents throughout the, the entirety of uh, fall and winter. That's true. But to be fair, and this is one of the things I always try and be to be very fair and authentic. There has not been a documented case in high school, college or the NFL 
but it's a little unfair to say for high school because you're not testing like you are in college or NFL. It's not a, a little bit unfair to make that blanket statement, but we can make the blanket statement in the NFL because they had the daily testing and what have you. And to be fair there, the chances of across the line of scrimmage transmission were lower since everyone coming into the game was negative and there was perhaps only a small window. That's just to be fair with for the whole discussion. And that's like what I say, what I try or Major League Baseball or NBA, places that they have been testing a lot, uh, that is, uh, that's also held true. So, yes, who knows? Uh, you know, you, you don't have perfect pitch in terms of analyzing any of this, but, uh, but that's right. I mean, like you were looking at the data, using your best expertise to try to forecast an uncertain situation. And, uh, and that's incredibly difficult to do, whether you're trying to predict the weather or trying to predict uh, how a novel virus is going to move across the country uh, and, and what the impact's going to be. So whenever I've had haters about this, that, the other, it's like, oh, you're just being Clay's puppet that you don't. <laughs> so I hope people see first and foremost that as you made a point and a valid point, and I hope you took it the right way, I wasn't correcting you, but I was saying, yeah. well, that's true, but there's another side to it. What people don't understand is, look, I own a media company. I don't want to own what people say at that media company. So the idea that I'm, you know, like pouring over what is said and being like, you can say that, you can't say that. Uh, I think sometimes people think that I'm way more involved in the nitty gritty of individual articles than I actually am. I, I just want us to be smart, original, funny, and authentic uh, and, uh, and produce content that isn't going to exist elsewhere. And you're a huge part of that. Thank you. And, and to set the record straight, you've never told me not only what to say in the article, or what article to write. You've never been involved in it at all uh, and uh, so forth. And look, if there are times that I don't agree with what you said, I say all the time, I didn't agree with all the editorials at the San Diego Union Tribune, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't, you know, be writing with them. You know, you so should, my, my, what I'll say there is you should only 100 percent agree with yourself in any scenario, right? If you 100% agree with the Republicans, if you 100% agree with the Democrats, if you 100% agree with any president, probably means that you're not thinking very hard. And also, by the way, you should question rigorously, not just you, I'm talking to everybody. I tell my boys this all the time, question what you believe too. Don't be afraid if the data changes to change what your interpretation of that data is, because that's what intelligent people do. I always say, you know, from the legal background that I have, every game is like a court case. And if you get a new ruling from a judge, then you're being a pretty bad lawyer if you don't adjust your opinion based on that ruling. Every time you get a new data point in a season, you get a better opportunity to judge the team and figure out what they're good at and what they're bad at. And if you don't take advantage of that opportunity, your opinions are going to be worse uh, by the end of the season than they were before the season started. So final question, because I told you I keep you to 20 minutes here. Um, you have your ardent supporters, and of course you have the Clay Travis haters. What the supporters, what do you want the supporters to say about you? What do you want the haters to say about you? What's in the middle? Like, you know, like uh, your perspective of the supporters versus the haters versus what you think is the truth. 
Well, I seem a little bit like Seinfeld when, uh, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's mom said, they don't like you. How could they not like you? You know, like, I think I'm pretty amazing. Um, and uh, my wife mostly doesn't agree, but my mom does. Uh, but but the reality of it is I, I really genuinely don't spend very much time worried about what people I don't know think about me. And that's just kind of a lesson that I've picked up along the way. Uh, because a lot of people, and I'm sure you saw this when you were working with the San Diego Chargers, people might say positive or negative things about a player, and you might have found that their reputation is nothing like what you would have expected. And on the flip side, you might have found, hey, this guy everybody says is great. He's kind of a jerk, right? So uh, I always try to come into interpersonal relationships without any pre-existing opinion about what a person's going to be like and judge them based on how I interact with them. Uh, I understand that in public arenas, that's more difficult, but I, I think the only thing I can control is my work ethic. And I work really hard uh, and I try to get my facts right. Now, People can disagree with my opinions, and I am certainly imperfect on many things when it comes to what the opinions are. But if you get the facts right, your opinions over time, I think, become more reliable than they otherwise would. But look, I understand that sports at, at a young age in my career, sports are about emotion. And so people don't respond emotionally to their favorite team or their favorite athlete. So I've never really expected that people are going to respond rationally or emotionally to someone in sports media who is talking about something that is inherently an emotional construct for them. So what I mean is love and hate are two sides of the same coin. It means that you are provoking in some way a thought and a reaction, much like a team does in a positive or negative way. Uh, for the opinion business, indifference is, uh, is the enemy of the, uh, of the day, right? If, if I give opinions and people don't care about them, it probably means I'm not provoking thought or reaction in an intelligent way. And so, uh, so, you know, what I always say on my radio show is there's that great Alonzo morning uh, gif that's out there of him like shaking his head no. And then in, like halfway through, he starts shaking his head yes. I do think if people listen to my show and or read more than one article, what they will see, whether they agree with it or not, is there is a logic underpinning most of my opinions and they're consistent across the board uh, in the logic and the way that I apply them, whether it's sports, whether it's politics, whether it's media, whatever it is. I try to think of myself almost as a judge, and this is the law, law training as well. You're only as good as your last opinion if it so far follows the precedent of your prior opinion. And I think almost all of my opinions, if you looked at them and tried to say, hey, could this be considered a judicial uh, opinion, is there a precedent that's consistently being applied here? I think that would end up being true, whether you agree or disagree with it. I always say when I practice law, I didn't get to choose which side of an argument I would take. The great thing about my career now is every single argument that I end up making, I have chosen to make that argument because I, you know, because I think it's the best side. Gotcha. And, and I think part of it is we got to get beyond just looking at the Twitter or the, the soundbite, looking at the, you know, like so many times I'll, I'll, you know, tweet something and then 
people will come at me. I'm like, did you not read the article? And the answer is clearly they did not because it addresses it and it shows that I'm on their same side. But I think I've always, what I've taught my kids, it's not what you're saying, it's the why. And I think yeah. if people listen to the why a lot more, they can choose to agree or disagree, but then they actually have a framework uh, of discussion. And, and I train up some of our OutKick people on that because I've said, look, this headline might be good and get more attention, but it might not be representative of what's actually there. Or this quote might look interesting standing alone, but in the context, it makes a lot more sense. You got to be careful because most people will on Twitter only look at the headline, as you're saying, whether it's a video or whether it's a article, a larger form of media that's meant to be consumed in totality. If you take a single sentence out of anything or a single quote out of anything, it oftentimes does not have the same cogency uh, as it would if it were looked at in that context. So I think everybody on social media can do a better job understanding totality and less uh, contextual. Yeah, and, and what I tell my profile.doc.com staff is, is I never want any of our headlines to be clickbait. Because you, you fool per, per person once, they're, you're on their watch list. You fool them twice, they don't want to click on it anymore. I want to have substance in what we have and, and uh, do. Anyways, we could cut, talk for the whole time a lot longer. I'll get you out of trouble with your wife and kids. Thank you for the, uh, the time here and uh, enjoy it and uh, appreciate you. Hey, I appreciate you as well. Keep up the good work. Enjoyed the season. And hopefully it'll be back to just analyzing football injuries by 2021 for a change. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Clay Travis uh, uh, for his time there. And uh, with a uh, short break here, we will continue with part two of the F Pro Football Doc podcast, where we'll talk about the beast of the week and some of the, the uh, current thoughts about vaccines, COVID, some of the post-Super Bowl analysis, et cetera. All right, welcome to part two of the Pro Football Doc podcast post-Super Bowl. Thanks again to Clay Travis for joining us there. I hope he gives me a good grade on my interviewing skills. I'm not so sure. Uh, but this part of the podcast, the title is Exit Interview. Uh, you always have an exit interview as a player at the end of the season with your coach. Even if your coach is not returning, there's usually an exit interview. What was the season like? A recap. And let's do that here now with the exit uh, interview. First of all, we're going to continue with the postseason, the podcast throughout the year. I'm telling you, there is no lack of medical information throughout the offseason. Right now, we're going to start hearing about, and we already have, the offseason surgeries. Uh, the Chiefs are going through exit interviews. The Bucks are going through exit interviews. I'm not sure if that will happen before or after their parade, but uh, I'm not sure what the parade is. Uh, I hear Gronk and uh, Brady are at, in Disney World already. But yes, there's still exit interviews. And like for Patrick Mahomes, he's going to get his toe evaluated and make a final decision on whether he needs surgery or not for his turf toe. And we'll cover that. If Patrick Mahomes needs surgery on his toe, as Ian Rappaport has reported, that's a plantar plate injury repair on his big toe. You saw it affecting him more late in that game. Uh, that's a six-month recovery. Now, depending on the exact type of turf toe surgery he has, that's not an easy recovery. So it's February. That takes us six months. It takes us past the starter training camp. Yes, he's got time to get better before the start of the regular season. But those are the things we'll be watching, the medical 
things. You know, Dak Prescott had a, quote, second ankle surgery. Uh, I don't think that's that big of a deal, but it was interesting that people said it wasn't related to the first one. That doesn't make any sense. Direct, not directly related, I could buy. Only indirectly related, I could buy. To say that it's not related at all, it was a surgery to the deltoid in the inside of his ankle where it actually dislocated, so that ligament had to be torn. I can't understand why it's not related. But I still am optimistic that Dak Prescott will return to play and be fine. Vita Vea had a similar, maybe not exactly the same, but in the same family. Vita Vea's might have been a... Uh, a Honda and uh, and uh, and uh, you know the uh, the Dak Prescott's ankle fracture dislocation might have been a big old SUV, the Chevy Suburban. But they're both cars. They're in the same family. And remember, he heard it week five in October, and played in the championship conference championships and played in the Super Bowl. Played well. He like played most all the snaps. Dak Prescott, with his extra time and the position he plays this whole offseason will be fine. So we'll continue to cover all of that uh, as part of the uh, process here. Profootballdoc.com will go on. We'll continue to make it better. We're having a lot of off-season meetings to uh, improve. I hope if you remember what it looked like at the start of the year versus what it looks like today, uh, the different field views, the injury index, that's going to get better. The features, the videos, the uh, notifications that now can be there the the uh the teams uh, my teams uh, and, and we're appreciative of all our partnerships this year FanDuel thanks uh, official injury expert fade the noise fantasy pros on their podcast sports grid all sorts of things that i'm sure i'm forgetting a, a bunch and of course sirius xm fox sports radio outkick etc all right let's get to some specific grades let's talk about the game um, I mentioned it a little bit on the clay part. I got fooled a little bit here, uh, partly, uh, partly because of this. Because of this. this is my son. Yeah, I missed him. I was in uh, uh, Las Vegas doing some work stuff and having some fun. But this is how he watched the Super Bowl with his Patrick Mahomes wig on and his jersey dressed up for Halloween like him, etc. And uh, I probably got swayed by that a little bit. I got swayed by the fact that... Uh, Patrick Mahomes is so great. The Chiefs have been so great. And I was swayed by the guys that I was with socially distanced. They were all on Kansas City, and I did not want to be the guy, you know, on the uh, don't pass line at the craps table. Uh, didn't even get to the craps, craps table on this trip. But if you really look at our article on Super Bowl injuries and the impact, and we talked about the offensive line, and uh, the offensive line, and this doesn't even show it all, right? Eric Fisher injury caused the domino of Mike Remmers flipping over from number two to here, number two, meaning that guard Andrew Wiley flipped here, Laurent Duver DuVernay-Tardif opted out. You see it on here. Bottom line is this was a second stringer, third stringer, starter, third stringer, third stringer. And that's what made the big difference in the game. And I wish I would have, I was, I'm not, I'm in California normally, so I normally don't bet. I was in Las Vegas, I was in Nevada, so it was legal to bet. I wish I would just listen to my own advice, and that's my own learning here. So 
uh, here's the summary of what I said. Uh, number one, if KC is the winner, it's KC over. If Bucks are the winner, it's Bucks under. The game was going to turn on whether the, the Bucks could stop the Chiefs' offense, and it had to do with the offensive line. The Bucks were going to get their mid to high 20s. They got to 31. They were going to get their scores. The question is, were the Chiefs going to go up into the 30s or lower? Of course, I didn't think under meant no touchdowns and all that stuff. But it's clear the offensive line made a difference. And uh, I leaned towards the Chief for emotional reasons, and that was wrong. But what I recommended here was right here. Watch how Kansas City handles the Bucks D-line in the first drive, then jump in in-game. And I didn't have to pay for that a little bit. But in the end, you know, we've all seen it now. Um, here we go. Patrick Mahomes, 56 pass plays, 29 pressures, 52% pressure is most of the in history. Brady was pressured on 13% of his throws. So the offensive line definitely made the difference in the, uh, in the game here. So let's uh, go to how we did on some of the props. I should have probably stuck to the props. So this is, against, again, the OutKick article. There was more at ProFootballDoc.com. My favorite one was Mahomes over 18 and a half rush yards. By the time I start, that's when I started talking about it, but it went up to 21 and a half at FanDuel. Might have even gone up to 22. In Las Vegas, some books had it higher, some had it at 21 and a half. And he clearly surpassed that, really, in the first quarter. And the best part is surpassed due to what I felt was going to happen. Getting flushed out of the pocket on a scramble. Not a design Mahomes run. I thought his toe was going to be fine, which obviously fine to play, not 100%. But it was the non-design runs, the scramble yardage, which counts towards rushing yardage, that was going to push him over the top. And by the way, sack yards don't count against rushing totals. They count against his passing total. So uh, it was an easy over there. I wish I would have just put all my money on that. <laughs> uh, Mahomes over 41 and a half passing attempts. Uh, yeah, I think that definitely came true. Um, let's see. Let's see if I can get back to where I can scroll. Here we go. Uh, 41 and a half passing attempts. Uh, you know, their offense was so bad in the early going that they weren't going to get there. But then they were chasing so much they got there. So I'll call this one a little bit of luck. Not exactly to form, but that hit. I thought Clyde Edwards-Hilaire would be healthy. And I think uh, in the early going, they didn't use him much, but he easily surpassed 30 and a half yards and also attempts and clearly was the number one back. That was injury-related thoughts. Kelsey over seven and a half catches. It was a little bit of struggle, but he got there. Um, Part of that was just he's going to have to get the ball out quickly, and Kelsey's going to be the quickest target. Sammy Watkins under three and a half, three and a half catches. That was easy. Watkins wasn't a big part of the game plan, and obviously unable to throw downfield. He really wasn't open, no time. I think he only had one catch. So five for five on the Chiefs props. On the Buccaneers props, Tom Brady over 25 completions, no. That's a negative. 
uh, did not happen. Because they were so far ahead, they could just run the ball. He stopped throwing. So, but bottom line, that was wrong. Ronald Jones over 35 and a half rushing yards. Yes, um, certainly made it easier that they were ahead, but he surpassed that fairly easily. Was saying he was going to return to be a, to full health, and he was. Fournette over three and a half catches. Uh, Fournette being the, the James White for Tom Brady. That was closer than I thought it was, but that got there. Antonio Brown under one under 41 and a half receiving yards. That was a yes. Uh, he did catch a touchdown though. Limited usage. Godwin over five and a half catches. That was a big no. So three out of five. So if we're grading ourselves on an exit interview, eight out of ten on the props, five out of five on the Chiefs props, three out of five on the uh, Buccaneers uh, props. One other interesting thing that that I said, you know, heck, on my favorite prop of Mahomes rushing yards, I saw a stat. He ran for 497 yards in the backfield before he threw balls. Uh, just running around cumulatively. So, I mean, his average was running around a little over 10 yards per pass attempt, which is amazing. Uh, that's where he didn't really have any time. All right, um, let's see. Uh, in a funny way, think about this. It was The Super Bowl is supposed to be the best team in the NFC against the best team in the AFC. But in some ways, this was an AFC Super Bowl. I mean, A, a lot of talk about Chiefs and it didn't materialize. But look at who scored in the Super Bowl. Brady ended up being the MVP, threw for three touchdowns. Uh, Gronk, AFC guy, caught two touchdowns. Antonio Brown, AFC guy, caught a touchdown. And Leonard Fournette, Jaguars, AFC guy, ran in for a touchdown. I don't remember the kicker and if the kicker came from the AFC or whatever, but all four of these key guys were on the AFC last year and joined the, the, the Bucks. So that's just an inter interesting uh, side note. All right, let's talk about uh, more exit interviews, the season in general, and COVID. You have to say the NFL did pretty well. 0.08% positivity, less than a tenth of 1%. It's a little bit misleading because let's say a player tested negative one time, sorry, negative every time. They got tested daily, so that's like 100, and, 100 plus negative tests. So it does tip the scale of the balance off. So it's not exactly like you think that only one less than one-tenth of one percent of NFL players are positive. That's not true. It's less than one-tenth of one percent of all NFL tests came back positive. Came, yeah, came back positive. So, but they still did a good job, and I know that it started on time as we thought, and we knew there'd be twists and turns before it finished, but... They finished on time. They started on time. All games were played, and it's the first professional sports league to do so. Kudos to the NBA for going first, but they played in a bubble, and it wasn't all teams. NHL played in two bubbles, um, limited schedules, baseball limited schedules. Football, a contact sport where you tackle and fall on each other and go in a big pile. 
yet they survived. And, and I know most of you by now have looked at that viral load article that I said, where it's not one coronavirus that will get you infected. It's not the act of tackling uh, that will get you infected. It's prolonged contact, contact. And if you remember earlier this season when Patrick Mahomes hugged Stefan Gilmore and the internet went crazy uh, with, with, and Gilmore was positive, I said at that time, if Patrick Mahomes tests positive for coronavirus or COVID because of that hug, shut the NFL down. There's no, you, you cannot continue. I didn't think he would, and he didn't. So the transient contact doesn't do it. It's sitting down to share a meal and mask down, and you're sitting there for an hour that does it. Walking by someone is not typically how it happens. And uh, that's why I was confident the NFL would finish. Kudos to the NFL for changing. I think Dr. Allen Sills did a great job. But, you know, in the beginning of the season, if you go back to the podcasts, we were saying potentially in, on game day, we thought the offensive huddle was more dangerous than across the line of scrimmage play. We clearly said the sidelines were more dangerous. The locker room was more dangerous. And what happened midseason? Masks on sidelines, masks in locker room. And I think a key point was that high-risk close contact. If you're within someone and you're high-risk, you're out. That changed the landscape so, uh, of, of how players had to treat it. And so uh, overall exit interview, and I have to say the NFL did a very good job. Not perfect, but, you know, it's a moving target. Uh, the other thing I'll say in the exit interview is uh, the vaccine. And maybe inspired by Clay a little bit here, I'll be a little bit more controversial. But I'll give you my opinion why. I think it's marvelous that the NFL is, quote, donating all 32 stadiums to be vaccination sites. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I saw an article where State Farm Stadium, host of two Super Bowls and they're going to get more, was a site already. And they were able to vaccinate 7,000 people a day. Fantastic. I'm all for that. But since it takes two vaccines to make you immune, uh, and by the way, I did test someone uh, earlier today that had gotten two vaccine doses, not me, uh, but they had gotten two vaccine doses. And uh, indeed, um, they were they have the antibody line. This is a COVID antibody test. This is the control. This is the antibody. You can see how strong that is. So it does seem to work, at least in this anecdotal one-off. Uh, but back to the State Farm. 7,000 people a day, 3,500 people a day, assuming you need two, the two doses, right? 3,500 people times 30, rough math, 30 days in a month, 100,000 people. Cool. How many people live, live in the Phoenix area? I mean, Christian will Google it for me. I don't know the answer. But you have to realize the immunity isn't forever. Influenza vaccines you get every fall. They may only be getting it for three or four months. 1.6 million. 1.6 million. So, of course, there may be additional sites. 
but it would take you 16 months to vaccinate everybody. So I'm sure there are additional sites, but my subtle suggestion is, look, if uh, you need to distribute this magic pen to everyone in the country, and you need to get it to them as soon as possible, should we try and invent a delivery and or pickup system? Or do we just enlist the help of Amazon or FedEx or UPS to try and do it? As a physician, and I'm an orthopedist, and I've talked to my colleagues, we don't have access to any vaccines. There are some isolated clinics that may be starting finally, to my knowledge. If I had it, I'd take at least an hour out of every day to just vaccinate 25 people. And during my regular day, patients who are over 65, we'd vaccinate them as part of their visit. I have the office space, I have the needles, the alcohol swabs, I have the nurses, I have the electronic medical records and supervising things. I don't need to set something up. In San Diego, what's being done at Petco Park is marvelous, and kudos to everyone setting that up. But that's not easy, setting up a parking lot to become this vaccination center. And kudos to everyone who's trying. Stadiums, it's great. They're big places, but it's not that easy to set up. But you still need the personnel to go there. I think we could get a lot further if we did this through the doctor's offices. And uh, yes, we would have, a, have to have a mechanism of someone of, to make sure uninsured were taken care of or access. You know, we're not trying to limit access and say only the wealthy who go to doctors can get it. I get that. There are ways around that. Maybe you let the people that are in the insurance system and have regular access to doctors get it that way and keep setting up these stadiums and whatever for public access if you don't have insurance or don't have a doctor to go see. I don't know. Um, but our shortcoming is we don't have the vaccine to give. Otherwise, I'd give it. And, and look, the first thing you want to do is that we would have to, as doctors, document who you gave it to and made it all appropriate and open to auditing and fines and or you know, disciplinary action if you were you know, black market selling the thing. I, I'm for all of that. And I know some of you say, well, what about the freezer stuff? Well, we actually have a freezer that qualifies, that's overnight, uh, you know, uh, charted. You have to have records overnight. You can't just assume that if it's frozen at 5 p.m. and it's frozen at 8 a.m. the next morning, it was frozen all night. You have to have the documentation. And, uh, you know, some people said stadiums are great because they have all those freezers for the food. But I don't think they're recorded overnight. Legally, you have to have them recorded overnight, checking the, temp the temperature documented all the way through, uh, et cetera. And my suggestion there would be very simple. If a doctor's office doesn't have a freezer, let them send one representative in the morning to the place to pick up the frozen sample, thaw it, and plan out, okay, I'm gonna do 50 that day, or 25 that day, and, and do them all. I'm just saying distribution system-wise, uh, I hear a lot of places aren't able to distri distribute the vaccine. Here's my suggestion. So sorry for going off a tangent. That wasn't a Corona Bro thing. That wasn't a COVID is a hoax thing. It's just a logic thing. And uh, coming off my interview with uh, Clay Travis, I felt like, nah, I should go down that road. Normally I stay a little more quiet. All right, finally here, Beast of the Week. 
I'm going to go counterculture, and maybe this is related to my son, whatever. No question, Tom Brady is the GOAT. We did a podcast, right, GOAT versus the kid. Uh, a, young, a young GOAT is a kid. Patrick Mahomes, the kid, and Tom Brady, the GOAT. Tom Brady's the man. He did it and so forth. I should have been smarter and picked him. But I got to say, this Patrick Mahomes kid is a beast. I mean, if you really look at we talked about the pressures, but if you look, he threw a pass looking like this. It went 30 yards. It hit its intended target on his face mask. Now, was it the prettiest pass? Was it, you know, was the defender right in front of him? Maybe, you know, gotten the vision of the receiver? Maybe, but that's unbelievable. Forget arm angles. Forget Patrick Holmes has lot different launch points and different arm angles. He's got different body angles. They've got more examples of this uh, craziness. And, of course, his toe that still might, not need, might need surgery. So if you look at this one here, the play, and once again, look at his body language and his angle. Excuse me. Allergies here. And this would have changed the game. And I'm not blaming anybody. It was a well-defended play. But in the end, it does hit the receiver in the face mask. This is a different play. But look at his running around, escapability, backwards. Let's go back to that for a second. Look at this throw. Look at his body position and angle. Who does that? He flicks the ball 40-some yards downfield into the hands of the wide receiver. Hits him in both hands. Keep watching this. This is why he's the beast of the week here. On a bad toe where he's flat-footed right there. Throw against the body, cross-flick. And look at where it ends up. Great coverage. I mean, that's why, I mean... Tom Brady is a GOAT, I get it, but let me tell you, that is why, especially heading into likely toe surgery without an offensive Body pack, three time, even though, I mean, how amazing is this? this? Is the first two TD loss of his career, you know, I mean, unbelievable accolades. Tom Brady, the GOAT, congratulations to him and the Bucks, and, uh, but Beast of the Week has to be. Patrick Mahomes for what he tried to do and playing through his tone otherwise. Anyways, thank you. Uh, thanks for bearing with us for the interview segment and the exit interview here. Appreciate you watching Pro Football Doc Podcast. We will stay very active this offseason at ProFootballDoc.com and otherwise there's injury information coming up on the draft picks, injury information on free agent moves and so forth. Remember, if you look at last week's uh, podcast, a lot of injury information played into the golf trade uh and stafford etc and uh thank you for watching uh and uh, we'll uh keep talking to you up throughout this uh, off season we'll still throw in the occasional uh uh nba or ufc or whenever you guys tweet stuff to me etc